your state, your team, your show. This is Sports Nightly. Missouri in the backfield from the 23-yard line. Snap back, play action, back to throw as Martinez has some time. Sets guns to the end zone, open as J.D. Makes the catch, touchdown Nebraska. How about that? Zippity doodah down the field. Martinez to J.D. Spielman. Sports Nightly during the holidays is presented by the Woodhouse Auto Family. With over 6,000 new and pre-owned vehicles in stock, visit woodhouse.com to browse the entire inventory. Now, let's check the pulse of Husker Nation with your hosts, Greg Sharp and Nate Roar. The Big Ten's bowl season is officially underway. And as Austin just told you, the Big Ten off to a 1-0 start with Michigan State's victory in the Pinstripe Bowl this afternoon over Wake Forest 27-21. Welcome you to a Friday edition of Sports Island here on the Husker Sports Network. Big Ten team number two, the Iowa Hawkeyes, will kick it off in about an hour out in San Diego in the Holiday Bowl against the USC Trojans. We'll be monitoring that as we move through the program here tonight. Here's what we have on the the next three hours for you. We're going to wrap up our week-long look at the all-Husker decade team. As the decade for Nebraska football is now over. It ended a month ago when they finished up against the Iowa Hawkeyes. Monday, we named our all-decade offensive team. Tuesday, we selected our defensive team, and tonight we're going to do special teams. So we're looking forward to having some fun with that. We'll also have our Choices Treatment Center, maybe for the final time, Big Ten picks. We did pick the Pinstripe Bowl last Friday, and if memory serves, Nate, Mr. McLaughlin was the only one that pulled the Big Ten flag up into the air. And he stands atop us right now with uh, with, with the 1-0 in, in uh, bowl season. So congrats to Benny. He had faith in a Michigan State team that, quite frankly, didn't look worthy of faith the last no. month of the regular season. But they pe- And quite honestly, I was feeling pretty good about my pick <laughs> of Wake Forest. We were sitting here watching the game during the afternoon, and I was sitting there thinking, okay, I got this one. I got this one on Benny. And then it was gone. Spartans actually looked pretty good in yeah. this game. Their offense moved it up and down the field all day long. Their defense, once they kind of got a handle on Wake Forest, they shut them down. Uh, Wake Forest scored on the opening drive of the game, and after that only had 14 points from that to the end of the game. Uh, so Sparty with a nice win, 7-6 and six season, and we'll see what Mark, Danny, Mark D'Antonio does with that staff moving forward. Last year he just rearranged the deck chairs. Does he make some significant changes on that staff? We'll see. Uh, I would be a little surprised by this point. I mean, uh, you've gone through the December period of recruiting. I mean, I suppose it's not too crazy if he makes a change or two within the next week. But, I, you know, if you've gone this far with them, you almost – the administration has said you're fine, basically. Yeah. Hey, whether, they've, whether they've actually explicitly said that or not – They've not forced him to make any changes, and he's been the most successful coach they've had in recent memory as a head coach. So clearly they're giving him more rope, maybe more than he deserves considering the lackluster year last year. But uh, I I would be surprised if there are a bunch of big changes, and uh, at this point I'd even be a little surprised if there are more than one little ones. ESPN had a graphic that they put up during that bowl game. They made the college football playoff in 2015. Mm -hmm. Nebraska actually beat them that year. 
but they still got in because they ended up winning the Big Ten title. They beat Iowa, pretty good Big Ten championship game. They got in, got smoked by Alabama. And they showed a graphic of the two or three years leading up to that season and then what Michigan State's been since that hmm. year. It's, it was a, it's been a big drop-off from where they were. They made like three New Year's Six Bowl games um, almost in a row, and then now it's like they're fighting to make bowl eligibility these last couple of years. Yeah, it's it's been an interesting picture of you know what happens when you kind of get beyond get out over your skis a little bit yep. as far as the players you're going after, as far as uh, the type of team you're trying to build, because that program I think had a solid blueprint and, and had a good idea of what it wanted to be, where it wanted to go, and, and who they wanted playing for them. And when they had some success, I think they said to themselves, okay, we can start going after some more talent. We can take a step forward in that respect and and maybe even achieve more at the national level. Well, instead, they ended up getting guys who really didn't fit there very well and and who've drugged that thing down, and that's left some holes to this day. Obviously, another big loss is Pat Narduzzi going right. to Pittsburgh. I mean, right. you lose a defensive mastermind like that, and that will leave your program in a bad place. But I also think there were some recruiting misses and, and, and some guys who didn't fit what Michigan State football was and wanted to be, and, and it's, it spoiled the whole bunch to an extent. Yeah, and there's, there's a lot of examples of that type of thing happening. I think Kansas State did that in Bill Snyder Chapter 1. Mm. He, you know, he climbed the mountaintop. They had that great run in 98, 99, 2000. Then they tried to start trying to go get more four stars, and that to, and the, it didn't work with their formula. And then it tripled off, and it caused Bill Snyder to retire the right. first time. And then I think he kind of came back and goes, okay, i got to get back to what I was doing in the mid-'90s, mm-hmm. building with a lot of walk-on type kids and hard workers and that type of thing. And, hey, Nebraska might be kind of in the middle of that right now. What What's going to be the right formula for Scott Frost and this staff? Is it just a bunch of hardworking kids that we coach up, or can we go get some elite guys? And I think there's a balance in there that you can – but I know that's what Scott Frost is wrestling with right now. Well, and it brings to mind Iowa, who plays today in Wisconsin. And, and I know we around here have had a lot of – sport at looking at Iowa and going, well, geez, you're going to give Kirk Ferentz a lifetime contract. And all he does is go about eight and four, nine and three. Well, yeah. And and once in a while, they're really, really good. They've figured out who they are. They've figured out, you know, the, how they can win, what wins at Iowa And, and Wisconsin. I mean, their ceiling's a little higher, but the idea is the same. I mean, it's not like Jonathan Taylor was a four-star running back coming out of coming out of high school, and yet as a freshman, he was one of the best running backs in the country because they develop well, because they coach them up well. Wisconsin is a little better talent-wise, but not significantly better talent-wise than Iowa. But the concept's the same that. You know, we don't need the elite kid, and we want guys who are going to come in here and work hard. And you don't, I don't think you can win a national championship that way, which is why Wisconsin, for all their success, they've never broken through for the national title. They've got a couple of Big Tens, a few Rose Bowls, no national championship. Iowa, the same thing. They've had a couple great seasons, but at the same time, you know, 
what they have done beats the heck out of what Nebraska has done, kind of chasing a ghost the last you know five years, eight years, ten years, whatever time period you want to put on it. And, and so it's just tough for a, a college football program to know who they are, to know what they can do, and then once you achieve that, once once you build that standard and that platform of your program, going okay, we can go one step farther now. We can go, you know, we we can move from getting to a bowl game every year to thinking about getting to a good bowl game and the conference division title, and then a few years of that, and then it's win the division most years and reach for the conference, and then after that, win the conference, play for the national title. Right. The, the history books are littered with programs that have wrestled with that very thing. Are we okay being where we are on the mountain, or do we try to climb to the top? And a lot of programs have crashed trying to get clear to the top. All right, uh, hour number two. We will continue our top ten games, counting out of 2019. We're up to number three, so we'll see what that is. That's, in the uh, again, the top of hour three. Ian Rappaport will be here in hour number two as well. Uh, our weekly chat with the young man, the gentleman from the NFL Network. This is week 17. This is it. This is it for the regular season. It's over come Sunday night. Oh, it's rough. And, and, of course, after New Year's Day, the bowl games start tapering off. I mean, we're going to go from all the football we can get to Very little. Li- little trickles. Yeah. Little trickles. Of course, the playoffs are, are a ton of fun in, in the NFL, but – we're going to be jonesing here in a few weeks for, for the days when you could park on your couch on Saturday, watch a whole day of football, and then do the same thing Sunday. So, uh, Ian, in hour number two, hour three, we'll have our weekend preview. Matt Cotney will stop by in hour number three. Oscar Women, open league play tomorrow at PBA against Iowa, 1 o'clock tip at Pinnacle Bank Arena. Matt Cotney will preview that game and what the league looks like for the women as they start the first of 18 conference games. We'll have our weekend review and our winners and losers also headed your way in hour number three. And our phone line open for you at 866-HUSKER-1-866-487-5371. Mention Iowa kicks off at about uh, 45 minutes against USC. They've taken the, the Hawk Hawkeye decal off the side of the helmet tonight. It's just going to be a solid black helmet for Iowa. This is going to be a tribute to the fallen Aiden Fry, who, who passed away a couple of weeks ago, he was the one that came up with that design for that, what we now know as the iconic Iowa Hawkeye. And it was part of his rebuilding plan. And it's funny because that rebuilding plan then got copied and taken to Bill Snyder at K-State yep. and Barry Alvarez and, and Dan McCartney at Iowa State. And it was central in all those rebuilding programs that the uniforms look different. For what I, to reset the history. And so, of course, Iowa ripped off the Pittsburgh Steelers' helmets. They've done this a couple of other occasions. There was a shooting on the Iowa campus, I believe, in the early 90s, um, the week before a game. And so they took the Tiger Hawk logos off the helmets. And then I believe one of the Alamo Bulls in the 90s, uh, a player's parents died in a car crash on the way down and so they took the uh, logo off the helmet but Hayden Fry in his time he, he beat Nebraska once but the 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 children of his coaching tree have given Nebraska problems for the last 30 years right. I mean even to this day Barry Alvarez never coached against Nebraska but he's hired three guys who have beaten Nebraska all but one time they played them. And, of course, Bob Stoops and Bill Snyder. Uh, 
Hayden Fry created a bunch of headaches for Nebraska. Sure did. did. I mean, that coaching tree, that staff that he had in the late 80s, legendary. I'm sure a lot of you have seen that. So if you tune in the Iowa game tonight, they're going to have a little different look with no Tiger Hawk emblem on the side of their helmet tonight in honor of uh, the late... Hayden Fry. Again, 866-HUSKER-1, 866-487-5371. That is our hotline uh, brought to you by the Woodhouse Auto Family, bringing you more choices in brands, locations, and service. Experience the difference. Purchase with confidence. This is Woodhouse. We're back to wrap up our all-decade team as we talk about the special teams unit. We'll do that coming up next. Greg Sharp, Nayroar, Austin Orman is going to join us this segment as we turn our attention to the Husker all-decade team as it relates to special teams. And, Nate, let's start with the kicker. And you you have some real options here. Alex Henry kicked the 2010 season, which would put him in this decade. Brad Maher, who recently was with the Dallas Cowboys, would be in this category. And Drew Brown. This is – got options, and these are tough. Yeah, and I, I – you know, any of those three would work, and I'd feel good about it. I went with Alex Henry because the All-American. It, it's tough to argue with the year where a guy went All-American. And Alex was 54 out of 54, kicking extra points that year. Not just 18 for 19 on field goals, uh, 10 for 11 on field goals beyond 40 yards. I mean, that's pretty notable accuracy. And, you know, not that the other two guys weren't really good, but... You know, All-American speaks for itself. So my pick for all-decade kicker is Alex Henry, but if you made me take Brett Maher or Drew Brown, I would have been okay. Okay. Austin, where'd you come down on this? I lined up with Nate on this one, Alex Henry, for the same reasons. I wanted to go with Drew Brown because he kicked for four years and he got much better throughout his career. But I just think Alex Henry's one-year All-American year was very good. And if I had to rank him, I'd go Henry, Brown, and then Maher. Brown and Maher kicked the same percentage, but Brown did it for four years to Maher's two. But Alex Henry's my pick. Okay, I'm gonna be the I'll be the uh, the black sheep of the family. I'm going Maher here. Mm. He was not once, but twice named the Big Ten's Kicker of the Year. Mm-hmm. So he won the Anderson Bakken Kicker of the Year award twice, um, and he also this factored into it a little bit to me. He also punted, and I know Alex punted as well. But because he did both, great kickoff guy. My choice was Maher. Two couple years compared to Alex's one. Uh, couldn't and, go wrong really with and, either guy with any all, of the three. Right, and Austin. In fact, maybe. Should we make that our Twitter poll? Heck yeah, let's do it. Let's do that. Fine with that. Brett Brett can fire the Twitter machine up and put a poll out there. Who would be your kicker of the decade? And those three are pretty strong, yeah. all three of them. Yeah, that's one of the stronger position groups we've got. I mean, yeah. you know, where all three guys are legitimate picks, and for different reasons. Right. I mean, for the purposes of this discussion, Alex Henry, one great year. Um, obviously, he had more for his career, but one great year for the decade. Uh, Brett Maher, very good for two years. And Drew Brown, not as good maybe as Maher's two years, but he did it for four years. I mean, right. to, to be the guy your whole career is pretty notable. Yeah. All right, let's get see if we can get that fired up. That'll be fun to see what the folks think about that. Okay, Austin, you get to lead us off on the punter. Of the decade. And All right. You know, Alex Henry punted for a year. Uh, Maher was a punter. Sam Foltz would be in this category. Caleb Lightborn will be a guy in this category. Isaac Armstrong the last year. Plus, where'd you lean? I went with Sam Foltz on this one. 
I did go with Sam Foles. He kicked for three years. He got better every year from 41 and a half yards as a freshman, 42.2 as a sophomore, and up to 44.2 as a junior. So he did it for three years, was primed for a monster senior season uh, before, of course, his life being tragically cut short. Brett Maher only punted for those two years and was only a half yard better than Fultz, so the volume wasn't quite there. And he went down from 44 yards to 42 from his junior year to his senior year. So Fultz's improvement and his steadiness gives him the nod for me. I'm with you. And plus, he was the punter of the year in the Big Ten in 2015. So Fultz gets it for me. Are we make it a trifecta? Yes. Sam Fultz is my pick. 42 and a half yards a punt, 190 punts. And uh, yeah, it, he, he was really good for the Huskers in that role. Okay. Let's go punt returners next. And you've got several different options here. Uh, Amir Abdullah returned some punts during his career. Uh, J.D. Spielman obviously has been doing it the last couple of years. And DeMornay pearson was such a, a stellar punt returner throughout his career, really changed several games for the Huskers. In fact, that's those big plays that DeMornay made, and I'm thinking primarily that Iowa game, the end of 2014 season, DeMornay flipped the script in that game. Those kind of game-changing plays from DeMornay leads him to be my guy for the decade. Nate? Yeah, I would pick DeMornay Pearsonell as well as the uh, punt returner of the decade. 900 yards career in punt return yardage, three touchdowns. Of course, that Iowa game, he basically won for Nebraska. So DeMornay is my pick. Trifecta, clean sweeps. Nearly 600 yards his freshman year and three touchdowns. It's hard enough to get one, but three in the same year. He was insanely good. So much fun to watch. Fresno State was his first one. Oh, yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah, out there in that late night game, out on the uh, hot, what was it? Was it a hundred something at kickoff or ninety nine or? Yeah, it, it, it was, was hot. It was ninety something, and we had to walk a couple of. Yeah, the bus the game. got. We got in an accident with the bus. We had to walk across our campus in hundred degree temperatures. Yeah, we were sweating when we got that one. I thought we might split the vote on that one, but we all three go to Mornay. Yeah, you know Spielman's had a decent run at punt returner. He he did take one back, but yeah, it's not quite a, been as consistent and. Uh, Amir may come up later in our discussion. Okay. Kick returners. You're leading off. you got a couple choices here. J.D. was in this. Niles Paul was in 2010. Eric Haig was a guy who brought back kicks. Mm -hmm. How'd you go with this? I'm going Amir. Uh, Nearly 1,600 yards of kick return yardage with a touchdown. Give me Amir. Austin? Yeah, Amir for me as well. Did it for 61 games, averaged 26 yards or returned that touchdown as well. Just incredibly steady, seemed to not make very many bad decisions and was just very consistent with how he got his yards. So Amir's my pick as well. Yeah, I, three for three. I've got Amir here as well. I almost went with Niles Paul. Niles had a couple kickoff returns for touchdowns during his career and certainly has been in the news a lot in the last week or so. But the longevity of Amir's career lent that to um, to win out yeah amir was just such a multifaceted weapon anytime you could get him the ball he, he was a touchdown waiting to happen some pretty solid guys well, in sure. the in the return game for nebraska in this decade i mean they, demornay was dynamite amir was dynamite jd's been really good mm-hmm. eric yeah, Hag went one for one on punt return touchdowns that's eric Hag, right had yeah. one had the 95 yarder against uh texas that's right mm-hmm. Eric Haig was a really good football player. Sneaky good. Yes, he was. Uh, e- even though, you know, I statistically he was good, but, man, for everything he could do for those defenses, his versatility, his ability uh, to play that peso position that 
that that made the Pelini defense a little more uh, versatile. He he was he was a, a, one of the most important parts of those O nine and ten teams. Uh, that were so, so good defensively. Very good. All right, the Twitter poll is up. At Husker Sports is our handle. It is our runs at Twitter poll. Who was the best kicker for the Huskers over the last decade? Alex Henry, Brett Maher, Drew Brown are your options. And you can also leave a comment if you have somebody other than that. It's right now a runaway for Alex at 73%, even though he only kicked one year in the decade. But it was an All-American season. Yeah. Tough to tough to argue with a year that gets you a painting in the uh, hallways of Memorial Stadium. People just they have an affinity for that kick against Colorado. Oh, yeah. That is one of for this generation one of the highlights of Husker football was that kick against Colorado. Yeah, I'm not so sure it isn't the best. More than moment. the hail mail, more than the hail mary. Yes, the best moment I've witnessed. And I've worked home games from 2003 to the present. So since 2003, that's probably the best moment because of what it what it meant. Uh, it was improbable, but it was also at a point where we weren't quite sure if Bo Pelini was, was going to turn Nebraska around. And when Henry hit that kick against Colorado, who we all hate losing to, uh, it, it it cemented Bo Pelini as somebody who was going to be successful at Nebraska. Uh, it jabbed something in the heart of the Buffaloes, and they haven't recovered. I mean, even though they've beaten Nebraska the last two years, that program's been off the map yeah. since, since that kick. They've had one good season, really, in the last 12 years. Yeah. And that was the 2016 year where they won the – Pack 12 south and made it to the championship game. Yeah. That's it. That's it. It's been rough out there for them. And it started with that kick. That kick really punctured the Dan Hawkins era and started the clock on him, to be honest. And, you know, they've cycled through coaches more readily than yeah. Nebraska has, which right. is saying something lately. Well, he's running away with it. 75%, 14 for Drew Brown, 9 for Brett Maher. It shows you how spoiled Nebraska has been with those three guys back to back to back. Yeah. We had Patrick Smith in there for a year who won a game at Penn State. Uh, kind of the break between Maher and Drew Brown. He had the Patrick Smith year, and he, he was good, but that mm-hmm. was just one year out of him. Um, I don't think he would garner too many votes if we no. did that. No, although he was just fine in yeah. his year. Um, and, and I think Nebraska – Paid back its good luck in kickers this year with all the uh, with all the injuries to the kicking core for Nebraska this year. But boy, until then, I mean, even even beyond this decade, I mean, yeah. it, you start backpedaling through the Callahan years with Jordan Congdon, and you know you can get back quite a ways. Chris Brown, Josh Brown. Nebraska has been spoiled in the kicking department for a while yeah. until this year. Right, no doubt. All right, there we go. There's our all-decade all special teams look. We lined up far too much the same. Yeah, <laughs> uh, right. we, we agreed. We <laughs> agreed a lot. That's all right. All right, 866-HUSKER-1, 866-487-5371. We're back with our Choices Treatment Center picks next. Time for us to dive into our Choices Treatment Center Big Ten picks for the week. 
Choices Treatment Center, helping people make positive choices. All right. who uh, Austin, do you have the updated tallies now that the pinstripe result is in the books? I do have them. They are sitting here in front of me. As you correctly recalled in the opening segment, Ben was the only one to guess this game correctly. He moves into a tie with Nate. For Does he even still points. work here? You know, that's a good question. Good gosh. That guy hasn't been here like in a month. <laughs> Uh, ben and Nate are tied at 79 out of 95, and your four picks back at 75 yeah, out of 95. I'm sucking wind. Plenty uh, of picks coming up, though. That's true. All right, let's get into it. Next up, tonight's Holiday Bowl, USC against the Iowa Hawkeyes. Nate, you can lead us off. Iowa, a one-point favorite. There's, you know, USC put together a nice finish to the year, but just the overall way USC's gone about this season where it's been a revolving door at quarterback and everything else uh, I think I think this is Iowa I hate picking them I feel bad but I think Iowa wins Austin I go USC I couldn't bring myself to pick Iowa didn't want to pick USA either but I think the Trojans will have just enough offense to get it done I'm with Nate I just think Iowa's the steadier more solid team They'll play hard for 60 minutes. I don't know. You'll get a 60-minute effort out of USC tonight. I think the Hawkeyes win a close game. All right, Ben McLaughlin is picking USC. Hmm. So you and I are opposite Ben. What Do you have the picks of Josh and Tim? I have Josh and Brett. They both go with Iowa. Oh, so Tim blew us off, huh? Hmm. Imagine that after a week in Cabo, he decides to take the next week off, too. So yeah, we have uh, four Iowas, two USC's. Correct. <laughs> okay, Austin, you get to go next. Tomorrow morning, 11 o'clock on the mothership ESPN, the Cotton Bowl, Memphis against Penn State. The Lions, a touchdown favorite. What do you think? I got the Lions. I think it's going to be a fun one with plenty of points scored on both sides. I could see this one being a mid to low 40s for each team matchup, maybe upper 30s with both. But I think Penn State has just enough. They'll make a big play on defense to get it done late. Give me Penn State by less than this touchdown margin. Ooh, okay. Yeah. I think it's Penn State by more than the touchdown. I could see them winning this thing about 34-24. I think Memphis, the head coach, abandoned ship to go to Florida State. I think they're going to be a little rudderless. I think the Lions – Love playing on, on big stages like this, and I think Penn State wins by about 10. I'd maybe even go a little hotter than oh, that. Oh. But I, all the same, I'm picking Penn State. I think they win by two scores at least. As you said, Memphis, without their coach, going to be a little rudderless. They haven't played a team this good. Uh, give me Penn State by at least two scores. Okay. Ben also goes Penn State. How about the picks from the back? Queen sweep with Penn State. Yeah, okay. Not not overly surprised. No. The big one. Tomorrow night, the Fiesta Bowl, Clemson and Ohio State. I, I've gone back and forth on this game all week long. I know Clemson hasn't played a great schedule at all. I don't think they've been tested. I was so impressed with Ohio State here. I'm a little concerned about the health of Justin Fields. They say that he's pretty close to being 100%. I don't know that I liked all what I saw from him in the Big Ten Title game, I'm going Clemson to win this one, Nate Roar. I'm going with my gut, and I'm going with Ohio State. I, I just love that team, how they've played, how they're set up. Um, I, I don't know that Clemson has been tested, and I don't know how they'll respond to being tested. So give me Ohio State, but I think it's going to be a terrific game. 
Yeah, best matchup of bowl season for my money. I'm excited to watch this one. I'm with you, Greg. I've gone back and forth on this one. I've talked myself into both teams multiple times. For the purpose of this exercise, though, going with the Buckeyes. Two-point favorite are, is the, are the Clemson Tigers. They are the defending national champions, and that is who Ben McLaughlin is going with, the Clemson Tigers. How about your other two boys? They also go with Clemson, so wow. similar breakdown mm-hmm. to uh, the first game, 4-2. and two. So you and Austin, you and Nate go Ohio State. Mm-hmm. Oh, All right, let's go to Monday, the Red Box Bowl. We've been there. Cal at Illinois. It's a 3 o'clock game. Cal favored by six. Nate, how you read this one? The uh, dud that Illinois put out there Thanksgiving weekend against Northwestern really has me spooked. And so I'm going to pick Cal basically in a home game. I'm going to say Bears 10 points. Austin? Yeah, I was very impressed by Illinois until the end of the season. Like like Nate said, kind of scared me off of them a little bit. With it being so close to home in California, I will take the Golden Bears as well. You know, uh, Brandon Peters, who who missed, I think, the Northwestern game because of a concussion he got the week before, his, has been practicing, is expected to play. That's going to help the Illini. But I, I just I think they've probably just been so excited to be in a bowl game that they probably have been – maybe not quite as focused as you need to be in this thing. That's why I tilt to Cal for this game. They're favored by six. I think they cover that. I think it's about a 10-point Bears win. And uh, Ben goes with Cal as well. How about our two fellows in the back? Josh went with Cal. Brett went with Illinois, repping the conference. Wow. Hmm. Fighting Illini for Brett Whitty back there. All right, we go to January 1. Next, Austin, we got first up the Outback Bowl, Minnesota what a year they've had at 10-2 and two against 9-3. and three. Auburn, Auburn, though, favored by a touchdown. And I would be surprised if it's within a touchdown. I don't think it's going to be 56 to nothing at half like it was last year with poor Purdue in the Music City Bowl. But I just think Auburn has too much. 9-3 and three is a really good record given that schedule that they face. We talked about them a lot in our preseason top 25 menu about just how rough a schedule it could be. Auburn could be really good and not much to show for it. They came through a little better than I think I expected them to. Minnesota's been good. I think Auburn's better. I agree. Too many athletes out there. It's, there are going to be a ton of Tiger fans that make the trip to Tampa. They'll, they'll dwarf the gopher faithful that go down there for that game. Too many, too many athletes on the field. I think Auburn gets it done. Auburn by, by a comfortable margin, especially with Soraka, the uh, offensive coordinator, hopping ship from the Nittany Lions or from Minnesota to the Nittany Lions. I, I think Auburn double digits. Okay. Ben also is with Auburn. How about our other two? Clean sweep with Auburn. Okay. Nobody nobody on the go for bandwagon. War ben, Eagle. Nate has not been on that bandwagon all year long. <laughs> Let's go to the Citrus Bowl next. Michigan and Alabama. Bama, a seven-point favorite. Is this back to me? It is. It's my pick. Uh, Bama wins this one. Um, I, I know they probably aren't going to be overly excited because they're not in the playoff for the first time since the playoff came around, but they're just too good. They're just too many, too many athletes out there. Uh, I think they'll overwhelm Michigan. I think it's a close game. I think it may be right around a seven-point game, but I think Bama prevails. Agree with the pick. Don't agree with the margin. I think Alabama's just a lot better than Michigan. This is not the defensive team that Michigan ran out there uh, last year. Uh, I think Bama by two scores. I line up more with Nate on this one. I think they'll be a little more motivated than some people think. I don't know if it necessarily matters who plays and who doesn't for Alabama. 
I, I kind of want a Michigan win for all the takes going into next season because that would just be entertainment and fun <laughs> on Twitter. But I think Bama's just too good. Okay. Ben, uh, ben is also on the Bama bandwagon. How about Brett and Josh? There is no objection from either of them on that one. Okay. We go to the Rose Bowl next, Wisconsin and Oregon on New Year's Day, 4 o'clock Central Time. The Badgers favored by 3 and 8 Roar. And I will roll with the Badgers, probably by one score. But I, I they played very well uh, in the regular season finale against Minnesota. They challenged an Ohio State team that's pretty good. The Pac-12 has been just topsy-turvy and, and all over the place. I think it's a heavy dose of Jonathan Taylor. That's no shock there. <laughs> um, but, yeah, I'll, I'll take Wisconsin. I think it's a one-score game. I think it's a pretty good game. Badgers, though, win. It's that heavy dose of Jonathan Taylor. That's why I think Oregon gets the win. They're the, what is what I see here, the 10th best rushing defense in the country, only allowing mm-hmm. just over 106 yards per game. That defense has been extremely stout all year long. Maybe they haven't faced a back of Jonathan Taylor's caliber in a while, but I still think Oregon has enough to get it done on the defensive end, and I like the speed they have on offense. I think Justin Herbert's going to have a solid game. Give me the Ducks. I'm with you. This isn't the Chip Kelly Oregon team that goes lickety-split and doesn't play much defense. They do play pretty good defense. They'll hit you, and they have the better quarterback in this game. And so for those two reasons, I go Oregon. Ben is with Wisconsin. How about Josh and Brett? It's 50-50 split between them as well. Josh picks the Badgers. Brett goes with the Ducks. Okay. And, Austin, you get our last one. It'll be our Thursday, January 2nd game. It's the Gator Bowl. Indiana back into a bowl game taking on Tennessee, Tennessee favored by a point and a half. I go with Indiana to win this one. Tennessee's been playing much better as of late. The topsy-turvy early season start wasn't very good out of the volunteers. They have been better up to about 25th in most analytical rankings. But I think Indiana's offense has enough to get it done. I haven't been overly impressed with my eye test on Tennessee. So give me the Indiana offense running around the volunteers. All right. I'm going to use the same logic I did with Illinois, that Indiana's just going to be so happy to be there. They've probably been hanging around Sawgrass all week long. Tennessee's going to have a huge advantage for crowd. I like the volunteers. I like the volunteers as well. and It's probably about a one-score game. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I just think Tennessee has too many athletes. Indiana will be in some disarray without uh, Kalen DeBoer, their offensive coordinator, uh, going to Fresno State. So, yeah, I, uh, I'll take the Tennessee Volunteers over Indiana. Okay. And Ben goes Indiana on this one. How about Josh and Brett? They both go with Indiana. Kind of surprised me, wow. but both Indiana. Okay. So, Indiana, the pick of the group. A couple of the so go with the Volunteers. Rocky see, time. See how that turns out. Yeah. Well, pretty good college football day. Two bowl games in the books. Two underway right now. You've got the bowl down in Houston between A&M and Oklahoma State. The Cowboys lead it 14-7. They're nearing halftime, and they're about ready to kick the Holiday Bowl. Out in San Diego between Iowa and USC. Some fun stuff. Big ones tomorrow as well. The semifinal games tomorrow. LSU-Oklahoma, followed by Ohio State and Clemson. I know what I'm doing tomorrow. Yeah, I, <laughs> I, I'm going to find my way to a couch, hopefully. Uh-huh. Yeah. All right, coming up this hour, we'll have our top ten game of the year coming up here in just a moment. We've made our way to number three. We'll reveal that here in scant seconds. And then later in the hour, Ian Rappaport, the NFL Network, will join us, talk some NFL. They're in the last week of the regular season. 
Black Monday's coming up. How many coaches get moved? We're going to ask Ian that coming up later on in the hour. Let's right now, though, get into the top ten. The Sports Nightly Top Ten Moments of the Year. Left side for the match. Matty Kubik. She got it! They did it! Nebraska beats Penn State. It's opening! Holy smokes! Holy Christmas! Measuring it. Waiting for it. He gloves it. And the Huskers have beaten number three, Texas Tech. Here in Frisco, Texas tonight. Nine, eight. Sam Hybe goes. The layup. Good! Sam Hybe gives Nebraska four Nebraska has become the fifth program in the history of college football to win 900 all-time games. Number three. Shot and I got rebound off by Thorbjörnus and off the miss, and the Huskers are just seconds away from picking off the Maryland Terrapins. Watson across the 10-second line, and Maryland will let Nebraska dribble it out, and holy cow, the magnificent seven comes through in Chicago. And game number three is a Husker basketball win last March the 14th. As part of the Big Ten tournament, they upset number 21 Maryland 69-61. And Jake Muehlheisen, along with Kent Pavelka, were on the call for that game. Jake, kind enough to join us here on a Friday night. Nothing better than getting to tournament time, right? And making some noise in a conference tournament. And boy, did the Huskers do that last March. Yeah, at tournament time and last year, you look at, uh, we had a lot of guys out. And we, I think we played with, with six or seven guys <laughs> that, that tournament. It was, it was a blast. And nobody, nobody thought we had a chance to win. Uh, any games in that tournament went in and made a splash, and then you, know, you go and you play against a really talented Maryland team and, and just play your tails off. You have Johnny Trueblood and Tanner Borkart, those guys coming in and playing big-time roles and making big-time plays for our team. And it was just a ton of fun to, to call, and uh, Pavelka was going crazy on the call, and it was just a, a fun game to be a part of. Jake, last season was so weird because it was the, the highs of December and feeling great, and you go to Indiana, which, by the way, that was one of our earlier games, the win in Indiana last January, and then it just went flat for about six weeks. Then you end the regular season with a thrilling victory over Iowa at PBA, and that momentum seemed to kind of carry. It seemed like that there was some something magical about Tanner Borkart playing and Johnny Trueblood getting minutes. It was, it was kind of a magical couple weeks there for this team. Yeah, it was. And as you go back, like you said, that Indiana game, went on the road and went big. And you feel good, come back home and and have a chance to beat uh, a Michigan State team. And we just didn't shoot the ball well that night. And unfortunately, that kind of carried over to the next game at Rutgers and lose two in a row. And then we lose Copeland to uh, to Ohio uh, Ohio State game to injury. So it kind of of just spiraled out of control there for about six weeks, like you said, didn't you? Come back. I don't know. I can't remember how much we were down to Iowa. I think we were down nine or ten with like a minute to go. Mm-hmm. Win that game in overtime, and then you, you, and Amir Harris played a big role in that one. He gets hurt, and then we get uh, Nana Kenton um, didn't make the trip to Chicago, but then you have Johnny Trueblood, Tanner Borkart. Those guys come in and play a big role. And sometimes when that happens, you have guys just all they care about is just trying to help the team win, whatever they have to do. And that's what those two guys did. And even Thor played really well in the Big Ten tournament. And just. Guys made some some big time contributions, but you still had James Palmer and Glenn Watson kind of leading the charge, and those guys played good as well. And, and you're playing a team in Maryland who had already beaten the Huskers twice. You lost a tough one at Maryland early in conference play. They came to PBA and and, and walked away with a win. That was during that stretch where Nebraska was not playing well. So I, you know, and I, I guess it is hard to beat somebody three straight times, but that was so much fun. Husker fans had so much fun watching. That, that whole tournament, really, in Chicago, and in particular the Maryland upset, they're a ranked team. They know they're going to be in the NCAA tournament. That, that just was a, a, a nice way to kind of end things. 
Yeah, it really was. And you look at look at uh, that game in Chicago on how undersized we were. You had you know Bruno yeah. Fernando and, and Jalen Smith from Maryland, you know, two NBA guys. And I know Jalen Smith came back this year, but he's going to be in the NBA someday. And and we just we just out physical out outplayed him. Uh, we were the, the the harder playing team, the tougher team, and and guys are diving on the on the floor. And and I know Pavelka had to grab me from the back one time. I stood up and was yelling from press row. He had to sit me back down because we were both fired up. And all the all the Husker fans that were in Chicago, we always have a good following. They were going crazy. And I think every other every other team there uh, was cheering for us, the underdog, to win that game. So it was just it was just fun to watch and. And uh, fun to be calling that game. Well, it was a, it was a, a certainly a high moment for the year for Husker basketball. A 69-61 win over number 21 Maryland to get to the quarterfinal round of the tournament, which ended, even though it was a tough one, the next day against Wisconsin. You had to walk out of there, one, feeling good about the effort of the guys, but also I think you, you probably left Chicago, Jake, feeling like you were, you were going to make the NIT at that point in time. Yeah, we did, and, and you know we left uh, playing well, and we almost we could have beat Wisconsin had we shot it a little better. Uh, we could have won that game as well. We played good enough defensively to win that ball game, but I think the the, the fourth game uh, there in, in in as many days was just tough to overcome, and uh, so you know, our legs were tired, but we played hard and, and we felt like we we're going to make the NIT, and um, you know we we played good there too, and just couldn't get the job done on the road at TCU in the NIT, but. It was a good way to end the season. I wish it would have went differently, but uh, the guys fought hard down then, down towards the end of the end of the year. Well, thanks for going mem- down memory lane with us. That was certainly a fun fun one in Chicago, a victory over Maryland to, to move into day three of the Big Ten tournament. Well, you've had a, you've had a week off, and I know you didn't want to go into the week off with the, the the off the North Dakota loss. That was a gut punch, wasn't it? Last Saturday at PBA. Yeah, it really was, and you, you, the guys were playing playing well together. It felt like we had some momentum and some some confidence going after the the tough uh, the tough one. But we played well at Indiana, taking them into overtime at Assembly Hall, and then you come home and you you beat a really good Purdue team and beat them beat them pretty handily. So I felt I felt like things were going the right direction. Guys were playing well together, and then for whatever reason, we just didn't have that defensive edge like we had in the Indiana and Purdue game. We didn't play as hard as we should have and, and weren't communicating. I thought we did. I thought we played well enough offensively again. I think um, we shot 48% from the floor and, and, and 36% from three. That's good enough to win on the offensive end. But then uh, we just gave up too many easy baskets down the stretch to North Dakota, and it was it just took, kind of took all the all the wind out of the sails for this team. But I think we're going to have some growing pains like that, and just hopefully they can learn from it and keep getting better. Okay, you've you've watched uh, Fred Hoiberg and this staff work for twelve games now. I, one thing that's impressed me, Jake, from afar is is how creative Coach Hoiberg can be with this offense. There've been some amazing sets, the ability to get some guys good looks, some open looks, some backdoor backdoor cuts. W- what have you seen from him as a coach, and, and what he's trying to get installed here in Lincoln? Yeah, offensively, I think he's done some really good things, and he's. He's getting the guys in spots where they can be successful. He's trying to play and run some sets to our to our players' strengths. And you saw some really creative sets. You saw the one, uh, I think it was Southern Utah. We ended up losing that game, but he ran a lot of play out of a timeout for, for Jervay Green. And it was executed well. We just didn't throw the pass at the end and, and finish a really creative play. And then you saw the play at Indiana to get uh, Deshaun Burke, that three ascended overtime. And that was another great set. But he keeps running these quick hitters. Um, and getting guys in space, let them make plays, and uh, get get the ball in the right player's hand. So it's been really impressive offensively. But I thought he, 
I think on the defensive end too, I think him and Doc have done a nice job too. You know, this this last three game stretch we've been mixing in some zone and doing some different things in man to man defensively that have kept some teams out of out of rhythm. And we've been just doing a good job, I think, all around on trying to get the right players in the right spots, both on the offense and defensive ends. Jake, I'm surprised because watching Doc's teams all those years here, he, he didn't like zone. They've played a lot more zone than I could yeah. ever remember a Doc Sadler team playing here in Lincoln. I agree, and I think it's just out of necessity. With us being a little undersized this year, um, we kind of had to go to zone and just and just to mix it up a little bit. And, we, and we've been effective. The only thing that we've not, not done a good job in the zone is, is just giving up offensive rebounds. That's going to happen. But for the most part, you know, we sprinkled in some zone. Haven't played a, a ton of it. We played some in Georgia Tech, but just mixing some in just to get any team, if a team's getting in a good rhythm offensively, just keeps them um, from continuing that momentum on that end of the floor. So I think it probably pains Doc to play some zone, but yeah. I just think it's out of necessity right now. Yeah, probably right. Well, hey, Jake, we appreciate it. Thanks for spending some time going down memory lane with us, and uh, good luck on Sunday. Let's get this thing turned around, finish off the non-con with a win, and then get after the league play again. All right, on. Thanks, Greg. There he is, Jake Muehlheisen, joining us on our Sports Nighting Hotline, brought to you by the Woodhouse Auto Family, bringing you more choices in brands, locations, and service. Experience the difference. Purchase with confidence. This is Woodhouse. It's a great feeling to go to a conference tournament and make a run mm-hmm. like Nebraska did. That was a really fun week. You had the big comeback against Iowa to finish off the home slate, the regular season, where they were down nine with 50 seconds to go and somehow won that game. <laughs> then they went and won the bunny bracket game. Then they upset Maryland, which was our pick here. And then darn near got Wisconsin. Yeah, they, they got some momentum for themselves at the end of the year. And, and uh, you know, those tournament runs, I mean, obviously, if you're playing in the bunny bracket of the Big Ten tournament, that, that's a heck of a hill to climb. But you start to get your own momentum and you start to get your own rhythm. And, and especially when you play a team that hasn't yet played in the tournament, as was the case with Wisconsin, because they'd gotten the double bye, uh, you know, you, you are in rhythm. You've shot at, the, at those rims. You've seen that background. Uh, you know, you're, you, you have a little something behind you that your opponent doesn't. And that was almost enough to carry Nebraska through against Wisconsin. Yeah, it, it it kind of washed away some of the bad taste of the month of February and late January where it was hard to explain what happened to Nebraska's season. Yeah. It, you know, injuries hurt and the confidence fell apart of this yeah. team. It Like the pressure just completely caved in on that team. Absolutely. It started with that loss at the rack and just, you know, Mid-January through February, it was it was a disaster, unfortunately, and and that team fell well short of what the goal was, which was the NCAA tournament. Right. I believe that win over Maryland got Nebraska in the NIT. Yeah. I don't know that they were in until they won that game. Um, we'll never know what the committee was thinking, but I don't I. I think the committee had kind of taken them off, and then they beat Iowa, and then they beat Maryland. I'm like, oh, maybe we better reconsider them, and that's what got Nebraska in that NIT. And you win three in a row, and you almost win a fourth. You, you push your way back into the field. Right, yeah. All right, so that was moment number three. Um, we'll have moment two and one, both on Monday. Speaking of none better than Ian Rappaport, the NFL Network, who joins us every Friday night during the season to talk about – the upcoming year. Ian, thank you for giving us some of your time during this holiday week. I hope you had a chance to spend some family time on Christmas. 
I did, as a matter of fact. You know, any any holiday is kind of weird, honestly, during the football season because um, so much goes on and, and the season lasts so long and it seems you never get one. But uh, my phone did not ring very much on Christmas. That in itself <laughs> was a present for me. I appreciated that. Very good. Well, week 17 is here, the final week of the regular season for the NFL. I want to start with the Philadelphia-New York Giants matchup. Uh, how surprised are you that the Eagles have put themselves in to kind of steal this division, number one? And two, I guess it's the farewell for Eli Manning in New York, even though he's not expected to play. Your thoughts about Eli and his career? Yeah, I mean, it, it certainly does seem like it's, you know, a farewell for Eli. And um, it's been an interesting career because, you know, I think he's probably a Hall of Famer. He's won two Super Bowls. He's the owner of two of the greatest throws in NFL history the throw to Manningham, and obviously the helmet catch. Um, and then he's had some, some rocky moments. Um, I'm not sure, for those who haven't seen it, I'm not sure there's a better NFL moment for Eli Manning than playing flip cup in a Hoboken, New Jersey bar <laughs> with his successful da- successor, Daniel Jones. Um, that's the greatest, and I don't know if Eli will ever top that. As far as the Eagles, you know, they're such a scrappy group. They don't, they've had so many injuries. They've dealt with so much. They never die. It is incredible. They just never die. And um, for a team like that, as long as they just hang around, they always got a chance, whereas the Cowboys, I think, are more talented, really, like, far more talented. But that doesn't always matter this time of year. The Eagles are very, very much still alive. Yeah, it'll be certainly a game to keep an eye on on Sunday with all that is at stake there. And and I know there's several things that have to happen, but the Oakland Raiders, Ian, have a chance to slide into the playoffs of the sixth seed, don't they? They do. Uh, now, you know, for those people who are gamblers, and I am most certainly not, I do. I understand it, but I'm most certainly not. Um, you know, it's uh, it, it's it was basically a nine-team parlay that the Raiders had to win, and they hit four of them. So there's five other pieces to it um, that we got to go through. You know, they have to win. Um, there's like four other teams that need to win. So it's possible but unlikely. Now, the fact that they're in this position is also amazing, um, considering the injuries. And, you know, they are not expected to have Josh Jacobs, their star running back, their potential rookie of the year. He's not expected to be out there this week. He's dealing with an infection and a shoulder injury. That makes it a little harder. But, again, they are still alive. So I certainly don't want to count anything out. Raiders at Denver for that 325 window. Ian, would you be in favor for the league for the last week to have everybody kick off at the same time? Or is that just not going to work with the TV partners that they have? I think it doesn't work with the TV partners. Now, they do have more 425 games than we can ever remember. Um, seven, I think. Yep. That's a lot. So, um, you know, but but – it's, you try to make it work. You try to make it equitable and fair. Either, even still, you have teams like the Houston Texans that if the Chiefs win, they may not play anyone because they may not be able to, you know, improve upon being a four seed. And if you can't, you know, if the, the Chiefs win and the Texans have nothing to play for, I don't expect them to play anyone. So that, you know, that really does make a big difference. You know, you'd like to rest the quarterback. You'd like to rest Hopkins. It's not really a bye week, but it's almost a bye week. And those things really, really help. If you can rest everyone, and if it doesn't hurt your kind of seating and standing in the playoffs, that's a nice thing. Yeah, no doubt. What's, what's the Antonio Brown noise we're hearing in the last 24 hours? What's the latest on that? 
Well, you know, we woke up this morning with Antonio Brown posting on social media that um, he was inside the Saints facility, and he was. You know, he was he was working out. Um, he was, you know, I would say getting his tires kicked by the Saints a little bit. And, um, you know, the problem is, is let's say someone signs him. You know, let's say Antonio Brown actually signs with the Saints or whoever. Um, and it sounds like his visit is basically over now. But let's say he signs. The NFL may put him on the commissioner's exemplist immediately. So they may sign him and, not, and get all the publicity from that, but not actually get to use him on the field. That's the issue here, you know, is, is what good will it actually do if you sign him and then he gets suspended by the NFL or put on the commissioner's exemplist and you don't actually get anything out of it. All right, the season will end after the, the, the San Francisco-Seattle Sunday night affair. So then we turn yep. the calendar to Monday. A lot of times it's turned Black Monday in the NFL, a lot of firings. Uh, do you expect a lot of activity on Monday? I know the Falcons took the suspense out by staying, staying the course with their regime today. How, how active do you think Monday will be? Yeah, I mean, the, you know, the Falcons basically made it so there's not going to be seven openings. Now my sense is, you know, at most it would be, uh, at most it would be six openings. You know, I would expect it to be probably less active than it's been in the past. You know, we know two of the openings, the Redskins and, and Carolina Panthers. The Giants are one that everyone's kind of watching. That's one. You know, the Jaguars and then the Cowboys, obviously, everyone's watching that too. So at least we're probably going to get four. Um, beyond that, I don't know. I mean, are the Browns. You know, if the Browns lose to the Bengals, I would say they probably make a change. If they win, if they have a good win, then, you know, they might end up staying. And then the Jaguars seem like, like they're staying too. Um, so we may have less action than, than usual, which makes sense because there's been so much turnover the last couple of years. Um, you know, that there's been so much turnover the last couple of years that, you know, maybe it's sort of a market correction a little bit. Well, my friend, my guess is your phone's going to be buzzing a lot next week. You're not going to get the Christmas holiday day off next week with all, all oh, this. Oh, no. I mean, it'll be, you know, for me, this is, this is probably the craziest, uh, this is probably the craziest time of the year uh, for me here, and my phone will be fully charged on Monday <laughs> starting at like 5 a.m. All right, at, here to wrap it up, hit us with some of the injuries you're keeping an eye on here as we get close to kickoff on Sunday. Well, you know, I think the biggest is Dalvin Cook. He has been ruled out. Um, so he is not going to play for the Vikings on Sunday. With nothing to play for, it makes sense. He'll be back for the playoffs. Um, Josh Jacobs is another one. You know, and then uh, Odell Beckham has been ill. He's kind of battling a little bit of a flu. We'll see if he ends up playing Sunday. That is one kind of to watch. But, you know, it's amazing how much, you know, there's and – then, and then, of course, who's sitting guys and who's not. You know, are the Vikings sitting some guys? Um are the Texans sitting guys? You know, Deshaun Watson's had a little bit of a back. Hopkins has been kind of ill. You know, there's some there's some things we've been kind of watching out for, but it doesn't seem like any big ones, which is good because the fantasy season's mostly over. And let's be real, that's kind of what we end up talking about these injuries anyway. No doubt. All right, well, enjoy the last week of the regular season playoff time. Can't wait to break that down with you next week. All right. Enjoy it, man. Take care. I look forward to it. There he is, Ian Rappaport, joining us on our Sports Sunday Hotline, brought to you by the Woodhouse Auto Family, bringing you more choices in brands, locations, and service. Experience the difference. Purchase with confidence. This is Woodhouse. I wish they could find a way, Nate, 
to, like baseball does, the final game of the regular season, have everybody kick the same time. So everybody kind of plays with the same thing moving to the playoffs. I, and maybe I'm just because I'm a Chiefs fan and I know the Chiefs could be at a bit of a disadvantage because they do play early and they're going to have to play all their guys all game. I don't know that everybody needs to kick at the same time, but maybe the conferences kick at the same time where, you know, the only drawback to that would be if you're a West Coast team kicking off at 930. But you think of, right. you know, you think like in the AFC, you, the Broncos playing at home at 11 o'clock wouldn't hurt them too much. But, you know, you play well, what the if AFC you go, games at 11 a.m. or at noon. What if you go two and six or something on the final day? That I could, like your conference saying go two o'clock. So even if you're a West Coast AFC team, it's noon. Sure. And but you've only got one team in the Pacific time zone starting. Well, is Las Vegas Pacific or Mountain starting next year? Pacific. Okay, they're Pacific. So so you have one. You you could have one game in the Pacific time zone right. next year in the AFC. But you know, with the NFC, you've got the Rams. We have still have Los Angeles Chargers, but. It just they play on the road. Lord knows they play on the road basically every home game anyway. But hey, you know, you there there is a way to arrange it. I the NFL I'm sure is thinking we want, th- we basically want five viable TV windows because this is the one week where both CBS and Fox run two games on Sunday, and, and both those TV partners want yeah. They, do. Want they want good games, want and then multiple. you want the big one at night. on Sunday night. And, and, it, and they did. They, yeah, this this year, big... they were fortunate that there was a game that cracked out that, that has huge implications. The San Francisco-Seattle game where you're determining the NFC West champion. But usually, that's you know two eight-win, nine-win teams slap-fighting to figure out who's the sixth seed. Right. Live and hopping as the Husker women open conference play against the Iowa Hawkeyes. And the guy in the mic for us will be Matt Cody. He joins us now here on Sports Nightly. Hope you had a Merry Christmas, Matt. Uh, it was unbelievable. It's always great to get uh, all my kids together and my family. And uh, it's just been great. But I'm ready to get uh, the basketball season back going again. I bet you are, particularly the way this season has started. 10-1. and one. It looks like this team has done some really good things in the first two months to to get themselves ready for conference play. How do you evaluate the first 11 games? I do too, Greg. I really think last year having to rely so much on the four freshmen, there was a lot of inconsistencies, especially late in games. And what the first 11 games have shown this team is that uh, they have to value possessions. The win at Missouri, especially in overtime, I think was huge for this team. Winning games uh, in uh, Las Vegas, especially against USC, uh, a good team out of the Pac-12, and then a holding serve at home. Winning against Duke was a, a great win in the Big Ten ACC Challenge. This team has demonstrated to themselves they can win, uh, and now they have to prove it in Big Ten play. But it's been a really, really good non-conference for this team that has uh, several seniors, but is still pretty young. You know, I said this on the show last night. To me, the only two blemishes would be you obviously would have loved to have beaten Creighton and then the injury to Taylor. T- tell me about what that does to the rotation, not having Kissinger available for the rest of the season. Well, obviously you'd love to have her, but I think uh, one of the strengths that Amy Williams will have as a coach is she loves a deep roster. A lot of teams, and 
we're going to see one tomorrow. Iowa doesn't like playing more than seven or eight people. Amy Williams would prefer to play 12 or 13 if she had uh, the people to do it. Now, Kissinger finished fourth in the nation last year in three-point field goal percentage, and she was doing a lot more than that for this team. Good rebounder, veteran, uh, and understands the offense, and really good defender. So it hurts. Uh, what we saw signs of in the last game of Manhattan was Leah Brown extending her range uh, to hit four threes in that game. Uh, Nebraska's going to need a good threat from the outside they can rely on to extend the other team's defenses, or they're just going to pack the paint against Nebraska, thinking with Kissinger out that Nebraska doesn't have the long-range threat. Certainly Hannah Whitey's is a long-range threat, uh, but Leah Brown, if she – adds that as a consistent part of her game, I think Nebraska is going to be okay because Leah Brown is a star in the making if she's not already leading scorer for the team coming off the bench. So I think one, if, if you're looking to make lemonade out of lemons, with Kissinger out, we may see more playing time for Leah Brown and she may blossom even, she may blossom even more. We're visiting with Matt Cotney here on the Husker Sports Network on Sports Sunday. The Huskers begin conference play tomorrow afternoon at PBA against Iowa. I took a peek at the league standings. It looked like the league had a very good non-conference part of the schedule. How do you evaluate the, comp- the, the, the way the rest of the league did? It's tough. I'm going to tell you, when uh, I looked at the games this year, uh, Nebraska is capable of, of winning against anybody they have this year. Now, I'm going to say the top half of the league probably doesn't have a Final Four caliber team. Maryland is down by Maryland standards. I think they're certainly capable of being a sweet 16, a late elite eight kind of team, but uh, Maryland has lost a couple of games in the non-conference. They're still going to be very, very tough, but they're down, but it's the, it's two through 12 in this league that are very, very good. Uh, I really think that Michigan State, Ohio State, Nebraska, Rutgers, Minnesota, Michigan, Indiana is extremely good this year. Uh, Indiana may end up being the best team in the conference. All of those teams are going to be battling not only for uh, a double bye in the Big Ten tournament, but a good seed in the NCAA tournament. So every game is going to be a seed game, really, in, in this league. I really think Illinois and Penn State are the only two teams that really are not uh, a legitimate shot of making the NCAA tournament of this league. So while the top of the league probably doesn't have that final four caliber team like they usually have the rest of the league is so tough this year i think it just it may be the best overall balance in this league since we joined the league well that sets up a lot of really competitive and tight games of the next two months give me the scout on the hawkeyes who you'll see tomorrow well they had their best year uh in school history really last year elite eight but they lost the national player of the year in megan gustafson uh who graduated but they bring back a bunch of senior guards, and they've got Kathleen Doyle as their starting point guard who played with Team USA in the Pan American Games this past summer. They can hit the three, and they can score, and they share the ball very well. Last year they uh, were second in the nation in assists per game, already their fifth this year. They're 11th in team field goal percentage this year. Last year they led the nation. They replaced Gustafson with a good sophomore out of Minnesota. Her name is Monica uh, Sinano, and she has impressed people this year. Iowa thought they lost one of their two non-conference games uh, to Washington because they did not get enough post touches to Sinano. Sinano is not Megan Gustafson, but she's a very serviceable Big Ten post. She's going to remind fans of when you think of a classic Big Ten center, that's Monica Sinano. So 
uh, Nebraska can't turn the ball over live. If they turn the ball over, kick it into row 30. Make sure it's a dead ball turnover. You want Iowa to play half court. When they get in transition, they're going to be very tough. Sonano uh, and Kate Keane, that's going to be a big matchup on the inside. For Nebraska's standpoint, they're going to have to match Iowa's three-point production. It sounds silly to say you have to outscore Iowa because that's obviously how you win any game. But you're not going to beat Iowa 50-48. to 48. You're going to have to beat them 76-70, to 70, a score like that. Hawkeyes are almost 240th in the country in scoring defense. So they're going to let you score, but you're going to have to earn it. They're going to give you some open three-pointers. They're going to give you some transition looks. They want to outscore you. I think it's just going to be a dynamic game tomorrow because they have all these seniors who've been to the Elite Eight. they got about 300 starts on the wings, Greg. When you have a team that that's veteran, uh, they're going to be very, very tough. Cohen, how much of a, of a rivalry factor is there in this sport between these two schools in your eyes? I think it's grown um, to where it is a, a legitimate rivalry. If for no other reason than Nebraska beat Iowa to win the Big Ten uh, title uh, several years ago. Kathleen Doyle originally committed to Nebraska, and then with the coaching change when Amy Williams came in, she reopened her commitment and went to Iowa. Uh, the Huskers had Iowa's number winning eight in a row in this series for a time. Uh, so there's some underlying uh, tension. Uh, and just because of geographic distance, I think in this league, Iowa is Nebraska's biggest rival. I, there was a time I would have said it was Purdue. But right now, certainly, I think uh, it's Iowa. They go after a lot of the same kids. Ashton Verbeek is here. She's out of Iowa. That's an example of uh, the kind of kids. They all go after Minnesota uh, players. For example, Sam Heidi is here. She comes out of Minnesota. Uh, take a look at one of the seniors who graduated off the Elite Eight Iowa team, Hannah Stewart, graduated last year. Her sister, Annika, is going to play for Nebraska as a freshman next year. So, all those little storylines certainly are there. You add them all together, and, yeah, there's a pretty good rivalry there. Very good. Well, you know, league play, a lot of times it comes down to experience. You mentioned all the Iowa experience, but you got to think Nebraska, even though they're still fairly young with those sophomores, at least they've been through it once, and you hope they've grown from that and can win some of these close games that you're due to see here in the next two months. Absolutely. I think uh, especially the, the players who are playing the most now uh, – who were freshmen last year. I'm talking about Sam Heidi, Ashton Verbeek. They're both starters. Leah Brown comes off the bench as the leading scorer on the team. They have seen uh, the wars. They lost to Iowa twice last year. And don't forget about Kate Keene. This is her third year in the league. Uh, she is playing the best she's played in her three years. Kind of had a sophomore slump, I would think, last year. She's playing free and easy. And uh, when Kate Keene's playing well, Nebraska plays pretty well. I think that matchup tomorrow with Monica Sinano and Kate Kane, fans, if you're, if you're in the arena, just watch that matchup, and it's, it's really going to be exciting. That game within the game is going to be something. Fantastic. 1 o'clock tip, 1245 pregame coverage with Matt and Jeff Grease. Coat, we appreciate it. Thank you very much. Uh, happy New Year, and uh, go get them tomorrow. Uh, we're going to try. Happy holidays, Sharpie. We're back. Final segment here of Sports Alley on a Friday night. Time for our ever-popular winners and losers of the week. Mr. Rohr, lead us off. It pains my heart to announce as my losers of the week, the losers of the 2019 Independence Bowl, the Miami Hurricanes. <laughs> that was Shut out. a tepid, terrible performance by the Hurricanes against Louisiana Tech. Yes, I know you're from hot cosmopolitan Miami and you got stuck in Shreveport 
for the uh, Christmas holiday and for the bowl game. But come on. This is what it's come to for you, huh? Okay. So they're my losers. Uh, My winner of the week, Marshawn Lynch. Welcome back. Just (laughs) riding the the, uh, injury cart back into active duty for the Seattle Seahawks as uh, the Seahawks with some injury issues at the running back spot. They needed somebody. They went back to beast mode. So uh, welcome back, Marshawn, as you sat around all year. Now you're playing again. Now we just need Antonio Brown to come to terms, right? We, yeah. It all will be back. He apparently was he in might, New Orleans. I know. It might happen. Yeah. All right, Austin, what do you have? All right, my winner of the week, it pains me to say this, is they're a rival of my favorite baseball team, the Royals, but my winner is the Chicago White Sox. They have a, they signed Edwin Encarnacion on Christmas Day. I do like the approach they're taking, too. They're spending money trying to be good. I can respect that approach, unlike what Cleveland is doing, where they're in the World Series just a few years ago, and now they're selling everyone off, getting rid of Corey Kluber. So I at least respect the approach that the White Sox are taking here. My loser of the week, Eastern Michigan quarterback Mike Glass in the quick lane bowl on Thursday. Ten seconds left in the game. His team trying to mount a comeback against Pitt. He decides to throw punches. He gets ejected from his final college game with ten seconds left. One guy he quote-unquote hits was the referee who flopped after getting the brim of his hat touched. Just two losers on that one. Bad deal. Really bad deal. Yeah, if you're going to throw hands, at least save it until it's triple zeros on the clock. Just this bad. My winners of the week are basketball fans from everywhere with the announcement of The Last Dance coming this summer. Everyone who has any love with NBA, any kind of basketball, cannot wait to see The Last Dance, uh, The Last Dance of the Chicago Bulls and Michael Jordan. So that'll be fun. That was a great moment for everybody. And my loser of the week, I was going to go with Mike Glass, but Austin took that, but I came prepared. Mm. So my other one is Jameis Winston. Who came out today? He wants thirty million per year. Let me just tell you, Jameis has thrown thirty-one touchdown passes this year, but Nady has twenty-eight picks. But he wants thirty million a year. Well, one one mil for every interception, <laughs> and the cl- the crab legs are free, Dad Gummit. <laughs> oh, he uh, somebody will probably give it to him. That's the sad oh, thing. God, I hope not. Oh, I, I sure wouldn't. All right, that'll put a wrap on our show for the uh, for the week. Thanks to Nate and to Austin and everybody for being a part of this one. Have a great weekend. Uh, ben and Nate, back with you next week. Have a great weekend.